Welcome to the 6AM Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6AM Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6amrun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 6AM Run Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Paisant. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. We have a very good guest today on the show. We have Christian Yordanoff, and I would introduce him, but I'm going to let him do that in a minute here. But as always, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So, um, like I said, I wasn't going to introduce him, but he is the author of the book, Autism Wellbeing Plan, How to Get Your Child Healthy. It's a comprehensive resource for parents to understand the most common health problems that autistic children suffer from and how to address them. He is a certified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. But I'm sure he's so much more than that. Christian, thank you so much for being a part of the show. If I haven't done it justice, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for our audience? Thank you, Mark. That's that's um, uh, a very uh, uh, th- thank you for the uh, the introduction. I hope I can live up to it. Um, a little bit about myself. Yeah, I actually how I got into the health space was through my own very suboptimal life choices in my late teens and most of my 20s for the most part. Um, I fell in kind of with the wrong crowd in high school and that led to a lot of bad habits um, that I wanted to reverse, I wanted to undo, I wanted to figure out if it's even possible. So in kind of my early 30s, I started getting into the biohacking, anti-aging, all the school stuff. And um, that's how I, I, I very quickly... So I was fascinated and endlessly interested by this information. So uh, I felt at that point something clicked like that is my my mission is to help other people, um, first of all, re- reclaim their health, restore their health if it indeed needs restoration or maintain their good health for longer. Because I saw what my parents and grandparents were succumbing to and how little help they were getting from the conventional medical establishment. So that's kind of how I got into health. And now I've written one book on autism and children's health. That was my first publication three years ago. And um, I just started writing my second book, which will be more for adults and stuff like that. And it's going to be called something along the lines of shortcuts to better health longevity and mental performance so that's kind of what i'm working on at the moment why well, I, I appreciate that and you know i i think one of the things that you brought up of course is the the ailments that you know the the former generations have had and, and how we're looking at that and you know how diet exercise routines are just mindset on exercise in general has to do with that but when we kind of compare our parents, our grandparents, to our generation now. Is there a way to say one was healthier than the other or one did more exercise or is it kind of, is it more than just that black and white question? I honestly think they were much healthier than us. I think my grandparents, probably my generation born in the 80s, well, we were kind of the cutoff. Now, folks, kids born after us in the in the 90s and in the in the new century, I think these kids are really up against a lot of challenges. We're talking environmental pollutants, plastics, um, uh, screens, blue light, uh, you know, f- uh, electromagnetic radiation, and ever. Uh, uh, an ever more deteriorating food supply. So I, I strongly believe my uh, my grandparents uh, were, were very healthy people. Uh, they, out of necessity, back in the villages in Eastern Europe, they had to grow, grow their own food and 
raise their own animals and that forced you forces you to eat fully organic fully you know grass fed all that good stuff right um so i really think uh what happened with with at least with my grandparents generation they were born in the 30s i think the rug got pulled out from underneath their feet so they were living in the villages then they got a house near the big city and then in the 80s they got an apartment uh in the in the capital city and soon enough the most of the food that they were eating was coming from supermarkets and you know a lot of it was still vegetables and meat that were kind of organically grown out of necessity because unlike the west uh the those communist countries they couldn't afford to um import cutting edge uh agrochemicals right so we were still doing things organically out of necessity but when i was a kid already my grandmother was using copious amounts of sunflower oil to make all kinds of things and we were getting margarine at one point to replace butter and you know a lot of white flour was being used for all her d- delicious goodies and you'd get um salamis and all of these other sort of prepackaged foods so uh they they just they were so uh, i i don't i don't mean ignorant in a bad way they were ignorant of things like vitamins minerals rdas and they just they thought food good tastes good must be good you know just uh, they just continued living their life and without realizing that these things are contributing to their disease uh that uh, uh later developed so then then you start you start on the roller coaster of you go to the doctor your blood pressure is a bit high they put you on a blood pressure medication then something else goes wrong because of that medication so they put you on another thing and before before they knew it in their kind of mid to late 50s 6 yeah mid to late 50s they were on multiple medications and that was just a progressive degeneration but to answer your question uh uh i believe they were much healthier because they still lasted into their 80s like my my grandmother died at the age of 84 and that was 25 years of serious poisoning from pharma and eating really bad food along the way out of ignorance not out of uh necessity and i don't think people nowadays are going to be able to make it that far with the lifestyle choices that they're making um i think that's one of the most pressing issues of our time and we have to really work hard to educate the people bring back the knowledge that they need to know in order to really protect themselves from the sort of the gargantuan challenges ahead like for example uh the just how much the seed oils have permeated the food supply that problem alone is insurmountable unless you educate yourself and so i would be it's safe to assume that we're more educated about our food choices and we have more of a variety than they did back then at least we have more education about it like we know what certain foods do. we know what sugar does to the brain we know what white pastas do to the brain we know you know how our body you know uses protein and how it uses amino acids all that good stuff so would it be safe to say even with more knowledge more education more understanding of nutrition diet food all that good stuff there's still a lot of us making poor decisions when it comes to our nutrition oh for sure i mean that's that uh, that's a big problem to have a lot of information you can you can become confused right but think about all the marketing that's been coming out of establishments that are out there purportedly to protect the health of let's say the american public because we know we know that stuff the, the most um even in europe so we're talking about in the 50s uh the demonization of cholesterol the demonization of saturated fat uh the purported heart healthy benefits of the omega 6 seed oils so we're even though there's a lot of science and research and a lot of knowledge <clears throat> and a lot of knowledge of mechanisms the general public is generally very much not knowledgeable if somebody starts researching it on their own they can they can become knowledgeable quite quickly but it's the kind of thing you you it makes you wonder why aren't we even taught these things at school we're taught such such uh seemingly irrelevant things to our daily lives 
why don't why aren't we taught everybody is like that is into this they they know uh the, the list of things like why aren't we taught nutrition why aren't we taught how to take care of our bodies why aren't we taught how to do our tax you know just these basic things right so i think uh the problem is the one of the biggest problems is industry with the money they make from their business they can then uh influence institutions governments policy and things like that so with that i believe the the american for at least uh, i'm talking about america because i know the most about um the policy there um the american public has been very <clears throat> how do i say compliant with the guidelines so they 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 were told to exercise more they were told to cut you know saturated fats and cholesterol out of their diets they were to- told to uh have six to eight servings of whole healthy heart healthy whole grains per day and they were doing it dude they were doing it and then there was the low fat craze of like the 80s and the 90s so people do do it and now uh they're adding their omega 6 or 3s now so i think people do what they believe are institutions that have their best interests at heart but what it seems like is uh the people sponsoring those institutions don't they have profit at heart uh, actually uh, uh reading into the story of the american heart association they were a, a pretty small little association until the 40s when procter and gamble gave them a, a very serious cash injection and what's interesting is that procter and Ga- gamble came out with crisco in something like 1911 before the first world war and they marketed it very heavily and crisco is basically kind of like hydrogenated um uh, uh polyunsaturated oil i forget which oil it was was it sunflower oil or something or soybean or no cotton seed i think maybe anyway so the second world war because all of the the lard and the fats and all the quality foods had to go to the troops to the soldiers they they, they got a windfall of sales because of marketing because you know uh, people were like I'm I'm going to you know do my part buy this other stuff that's supposedly good for me whilst you know the soldiers can eat well and they they gained a lot of traction got a lot of money then they start sponsoring things like the AHA the American Heart Association so you can see how over the decades <clears throat> they've really penetrated with their really serious billion we talk billion dollar annual profits they've really penetrated uh, all manner of industries research medicine science so it's uh, at this point in time i think we have to stop trusting the experts as it were and we have to really start thinking what did our great 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 grandparents eat let's say 200 years ago was it available if if not to them was it available somewhere else in the world you know so think about 200 years ago uh, whatever 1823 um uh, avocados uh, pineapples coconuts all of these things were available but were oils available probably very probably at that point some oils were available but the, the point is it was animal products it was fruits it was vegetables and it was some grains and nuts and uh, people were eating seasonally for example uh people generally couldn't eat something like nuts and seeds all day long all year r- long so a lot of these foods they're still like nuts and seeds are still very high in omega 6 oils so uh they were they seem to nature seems to want to have them at let's say late fall to help you maybe fatten up uh or a hibernating animal to kind of store some energy for the hibernation period so we have to go back to thinking what were our great 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 grandparents eating was it available to them was it available in the world and what is minimally processed food i think if we can get so like you were saying mark uh we have a lot of choice but when you think about it is is this choice new species of animals or new species well there's a lot of new uh, hybrids of fruits and vegetables but it's really the choice is only in the ultra processed foods or the processing of foods and it's clear at this point looking at the disease the disease stats how they're going up in tandem with consumption of processed food it's clear that we have to go back to basics to our ancestral roots if we want to restore or you know continue to be healthy No, and I appreciate that and and you're, you know, one of the points you made about the 
the education of the future consumer in schools. Um, I've, you know, I've actually asked a couple people that specific question in regard to why didn't we learn nutrition? And, and I've told the story plenty of times. People can go back and hear other shows of, of what I was taught about sugar in a college nutrition course, which is at, was absolutely incorrect at the time, still is. And, um, and how, you know, we're not taught about taxes, things like that. And, and, you know, the, the, the answer I was given was kind of eye opening to me. And it was that, you know, the teachers don't know these things either. Like the teachers don't know proper nutrition. They don't know taxes. And we might be, there's a few teachers listening. And, and again, the, I, I know if, if there is something that we need to teach, you could definitely put training in there and, you know, make sure that the teachers know what they're teaching. But, um, on to your point about what we're putting in our body and what's good for our body and, and how the choices, you know, I've had vegans on this show. I've had uh, people who do protein and, and meat-based diets on this show. I've had people who uh, believe in fasting on this show and, and you're absolutely a thousand percent right. There are so many voices coming from so many people on what we should do, but you know, some of the work that you do is is in regard to the specific body the you know a, a person's makeup how they you know how they specifically ingest certain types of food or, or what their their you know their blood work may turn up about their hormone levels or about what they need versus another person in your opinion like how important is it for someone who you know either wants to get in shape stay in shape or just be physically fit physically active just wants to be live a long life how important is it for them to learn the you know idiosyncrasies about their own body about their own blood type their how their body reacts to certain things to get testing done just to you know, i'm not telling people to go to a science lab today and get that done but how important is it for my just to know their own specific body i think it's super important like when i started working with somebody that's in a place let's say australia where the shipping costs for lab tests are a little bit too high so i try to save them money um we will do everything without lab work or they might get some blood work in with their doctor um, i always find it's a little bit more challenging to zero in on on exactly what they need nutrient wise so with my u.s clients because all the best labs are in the usa basically um we can do some urine testing so we can immediately see whether you have um, yeast overgrowth like candida. We can see if you have uh, microbial dysbiosis. We can check immediately for um, certain B vitamins. And very often we see B12 is low, B2, riboflavin is very low. In fact, uh, when you think about where is B2 most uh, commonly found in the food chain, it's egg yolk, liver, and uh, maybe some in meat, a little bit in milk, but it's liver and egg yolk that are the best sources. So people uh, that avoid those foods uh, often are coming up as B2 deficient. So just having one deficiency of one B vitamin can actually cause mayhem over time because the, some of these nutrients, not just B vitamins, they need each other to recycle each other in the body. So if you become... Uh, imbalanced in one or low in one, it can cause um, deficiencies in others. So this is um, this is such an interesting area where uh, you know it, it you could you could do multiple PhDs in this area. It's so fascinating. But um, uh, doing a little bit of blood work, maybe we could do a hair test and see uh, are you excreting a lot of toxic metals. If you are, it's clear that you are uh, you're under a lot of toxic burden or have been um, and you were excreting a lot of metals which is actually can be good because if you're not not excreting any in your hair it means your detoxification system may be quite um, diminished in its capacity so knowing are you excreting a lot we can check uh, you know for environmental exposures and so on or historically what have you had mercury amalgams and so on and so forth um, in both situations, we'll have data which we can use to to um, basically c 
some, not that people need convincing, but sometimes, especially men, they need convincing. Why should I take these supplements, right? Why do I take glycine? Why should I take, you know, B vitamins? And then when they see the data, it's like, well, the glycine is to support your detoxification system because you have lead super high. I had one client, his lead was extremely high. Antimony was high. And he had three or four different toxic metals that were moderate. When he saw that, he's like, well, that explains my brain fog. That explains my um, low energy and so on and so on and so forth. And he had ADHD. It's like that could be a factor. So so when you see the data, you you can really um, uh, t- uh, take it upon yourself to start just, you know, to take control of your health, right? To start really making solid decisions on a daily basis. Because what I find is uh, people, sometimes when they come to me, I ask them what supplements do you take? And they'll tell me, um, you know, I take this and then I'm like, how much of that do you take or what form is it? I'm like, I'm not sure. Or it's, if it's like glutamine, uh, I'll, I'll ask them, it'll be like, um, how much of the glutamine are you taking? It's like, oh, um, uh, uh, 0.5, uh, half a milligram or something. So something that's like completely unrelated to the amount that's, that supplement is taken in, which is not, I'm not faulting the person for not knowing the milligrams or the grams they're supposed to take, but it means that they're not uh, leveraging their supplement protocol fully you know what I mean so uh, depending on the person some people we, we don't do any lab work other people that can afford it and have interest we can do multiple very cool hormone tests things like that um, depending on the person how, how motivated are they to do the work if they're very motivated then we can just and, and they have you know some funds to afford the the supplements and so on then we can just go and uh, think about it how would you um, treat a Ferrari let's pretend you're a Ferrari how would we treat a Ferrari well we're gonna get all the bells and whistles we're gonna support mitochondrial function we're gonna support support energy production uh, brain function, gut function. We're going to do a gut cleanse. We're going to do a parasite cleanse. We're going to give you nutrients to help with sleep. We're going to get you blue blockers for the night. We're going to get you red LED light bulbs for your room to emulate darker light conditions instead of these blue lights blasting you. You know, we're going to get you a grounding kit like I have, like I'm wearing here. Maybe for your bed, we get a grounding mat. And it again, it just depends how much work is the person ready to put in and what i found the most unfortunate thing mark is the people that are ready to do the most work are the ones that have suffered for the longest time sometimes a decade or more and at that point they're ready to put in the work i just wish that people especially men i wish people would say all right you know what looking at the disease stats I'm going to be, become a statistic unless I start doing things differently. I wish people would, would, would make these decisions earlier so then they don't come to me in a in a really tough state where we have to do some seriously, seriously, uh, uh, almost miraculous work at times, you know. Uh, not that it can't be done, but it just uh, there's a lot of suffering along the way that can be avoided. Yeah, and I, I think you're absolutely correct with with calling out men in regard to this because just in case people didn't know this this is the first time in in human history where a specific group of people their mortality rate their their age of that they're supposed to live to is actually going down and it's it's men more huh? specifically white men um and that that mm. number is for the first time in history everybody else's age expectancy life expectancy has gradually gone up since the beginning of time of course with medicines and and food and and being able to fight off you know disease things like that but um we have come to a a point and i can say this as a, as a middle-aged man and and i have um i was i was going down that road for for some point where um i got in the house got married had the kids and i figured hey i've I've done what I need to do. Like I have done what I need to do. Now my, my life is, is for, uh, it's, yeah, exactly. And, you know, yeah. I remember joking about it with one of my friends about, you know, the, <laughs> the, the khaki pants and the ASIC shoes and, and nothing against those two <laughs> things. Like they're very comfortable. In the and day. The yeah, exactly. Coming up. And I, I remember his response to me was just like, come on, man. That's literally all he wrote back was come on, man. And I was like, you know, I was like, he's, you know, he's right. Like we don't, men we don't have to just get to a point where we think we're done because 
I, for one, would love to be here a long time to see my girls grow up, to see them get married, to see them have their own. Like, I, I, there's things I still want to accomplish. But to do that, as Christian stated, is not just a walk in the park. Like, we have to be intentional about it. So you mentioned that a lot of the people you see are the ones that have been going through it for a decade or more. And you, you've been brought in at the, at the time where it might not seem dire to them. It might be one of those things where it's like, hey, okay, I'm ready to do this. But, you know, it's, they've been taking on this unnecessary expense of poor nutrition, bad diets, and not diet in the in the big in the capital letter D, just lower letter letter D, and yeah. you know, no real physical cardio, any type of physical activity. So for those people who are not there, the people who we want to be proactive, the people who we want to sustain, and the people who we want to get out in front of this, like how does someone listening to this who thinks they're in pretty good shape, but they want to make sure they stay in pretty good shape? Um, you know, you've mentioned the supplements. I know as a society in America, there are a bunch of minerals that we just don't get on the day to day. You know, I've mentioned uh, magnesium in the past, which is a great mineral for people to have. And, and, you know, that's not snake oil. But for someone wanting to start the path and, and just make sure that they stay physically fit, that they stay, you know, healthy, you know, where is just some little, I mean, the little things that people can start with? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, one one thing I already mentioned is get the seed oils out of your diet. And unfortunately, too many people in the West rely on other people making food for them. Unfortunately, this is this is where society is, and I understand that it's it's very easy to stop buying seed oils in the house and whatever products like that that have seed oils but if you're out and about if you're eating takeout if you're eating restaurant food or processed food for the most part or a lot of it it's gonna be full of these seed oils and this is one of the biggest threats to your health so you have to if you're eating in restaurants you have to start wisening up to what how can i avoid the seed oils in the restaurant if you have something deep fried you're screwed already you're reading oxidized carcinogenic mitochondrial poisons that are going to slow down your um, metabolism they will mess with your thyroid they will um, contribute to atherosclerosis when they, it gets oxidized uh, and damages your ldl cholesterol i i mean i could go on literally for another 10 minutes of all the different ways these seed oils and the linoleic acid the polyunsaturated fats in them uh are going to do you damage like they become parts of cell membranes and these these cell membranes can be in the brain in the neurons so think of all the alzheimer's the neurodegenerative conditions dementias and 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 all these other <coughs> degenerative conditions like um multiple sclerosis and so on and so forth right uh i am certain that too much polyunsaturated fat in the diet is a big piece of that puzzle of, of as a causal factor to these things so if you're in the restaurant think about what can i talk to the server to talk to the chef or the person preparing the food to use butter or olive oil to prepare my food what for example here in the south of portugal we can get fish that are kind of grilled, char grilled. So I'll get something like that or a steak. Uh, I wouldn't get a, a dish where there'll be a sauce because, you know, in the sauce or like a mayonnaise or a dressing, you want to avoid anything where they can put in a seed oil. And again, unfortunately, that's way too many things where they're used because they're cheap. They add calories. They add sort of taste and texture. So you have to wisen up to how how do these things in, infiltrate the food supply and how can you avoid them when you're eating out that that does include change of the your some of your favorite dishes because i'm sure many folks listening if you eat what every meal out uh or, or is c contributing to the burden i'm talking maybe several grams of poof of polyunsaturated fats and these things again they get into your body they stay in the body for years for like two to four years and they cause a lot of inflammation so this is a huge thing i, I mean i don't want to belabor the point but we really have to get these things out of our diet 
the problem then becomes these oils are the most significant source of vitamin E in our diet in Western society. So when you get them out of your diet, you're actually your vitamin E levels will drop drastically very quickly. And that's a bad thing because you still have these things hanging around for the next two to four years. So a very high quality, full spectrum vitamin E complex is, I believe, absolutely essential in today's world. Not only is it good for that, it's good for fertility. Um, it's good for uh, helping to prevent exercise-induced muscle damage. So for the, the runners, especially if you do long-distance running, this is a, a very vital nutrient to have in your arsenal because you, you break that. We know that uh, prolonged exercise is a stressor on the body. So we want to ameliorate that stress as much as possible. We're not athletes here. We're not... I know like sometimes you, you hear things like uh, taking antioxidants around the time of training or anti-inflammatories around the time of training can be detrimental to the athlete because uh, the whole point was to do the damage and for there to be an adaptation uh, so that the person can, can have an increase in performance. But when, if you're just your regular Joe six-pack running on the tarmac, uh, uh, you don't, you're not an athlete, so you don't want to induce too much injury as part of your training. So I believe using things that are anti-inflammatory and vitamin E is a really good strategy, whether you, again, whether you're out and about eating a lot of poof, uh, polyunsaturated fats, whether you're training very hard, whether you're trying to get pregnant, whether you're trying to stave off uh, chronic disease, degenerative disease, super important. Then another thing people, most people are leaving a lot of good on the table is not supplementing creatine. I believe everybody, well, there, there's a subset of people that are creatine non-responders, so they won't respond to it. But everybody having creatine daily is a really good way to increase the immediate energy available inside your cells. Obviously, that's going to be a good thing for exercise goals and stuff like that, athletic performance. But it's also good for brain function. In fact, uh, it's going to be in my next book. I'm going to talk about the research on um, creatine as it comes to, uh, uh, as it pertains to cognitive function. And they, they find that folks that are on plant-based diets and more elderly folks, they respond the most well or the best to creatine supplementation. Obviously, that's because uh, creatine is only available in meat products. And for older folks, the older you get, the more complications and problems there can be with the energy production system inside the cells. So the, the, this is like adding a little, uh, like a, a little booster to all of your cells pretty much. So I really love creatine. Um, B vitamins, I think is super important. Again, the these are basics, but I think we're leaving a lot on the table, not doing the basics. Uh, and it's too easy to chase, you know, nicotine, nicotinamide riboside, nicotinamide mononucleotide, peptides, things like that. They're really cool. And I love, I love looking into these things and researching them and trying them on myself. But I have a baseline protocol. And B vitamins, uh, a very good B complex, that is supporting energy metabolism and when you think about energy in the body energy production it's like the the backdrop or the 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 floor upon which everything in the body is built so if we support energy production we're indirectly supporting hormone production um uh um brain function detoxification the gut and so on so so i think those are some really good basics and there i really like to think of them as anti-aging supplements as well for, for the for the reasons uh, i already mentioned about vitamin e but again creatine because you're giving energy uh, an energy boost to the cells you're giving the b vitamins so the cells can function well if the cells don't have a, a b vitamin or two they if they're not functioning well if that process degenerates eventually that cell might decide to commit suicide or apoptosis as it's called so the more of these you add from the diet and from supplementation these nutrients including like you said mark minerals are super important other vitamins are important the more we add from the diet and the supplementation the 
less hard our body has to do to like uh you know break down damaged cells um you know recycle things maybe break down muscle tissue if it needs certain amino acids uh, or rub the bones for calcium or even magnesium so i think uh those are some of my absolute bread and butter that everybody listening to this should investigate and you've and i appreciate that that, that that's definitely great information for everybody to have um but let's kind of switch it to to you know brain health and uh you know mental phys- mental fitness and and you know we can we can keep our bodies as healthy as we want for the longest amount of time but at the end of the day we have to be focused we have to learn to deal with stress because there's i don't know i don't know where you guys live but how I live my life. There, there are stressors every day. Uh, and we have to make sure we're able to, you know, be able to handle multiple directions of information coming in. We have to make sure we're available, you know, and, and ready to go on an instant. And of course, we all can understand that that sleep has a lot to do with that. And the, the quality of our sleep has a lot to do with that. But when it comes to brain function, you've talked about, you know, people being affected by by brain fog and you know that seems to be a, a thing that's come up more and more nowadays because i think once you put a, a a name to something people start to understand that oh yeah that is that is really a thing um how can people you know proactively help themselves when it comes to their brain function well the the things i already mentioned are actually really good for long-term brain function, so creating B vitamins and <coughs> and the vitamin E will protect your neurons from the damage from oxidation and um, lipid peroxidation, or um, you know the this polyunsaturated fats swimming around looking for something to destroy or not destroy but attack. Um, I'm gonna probably ruffle some feathers, Mark, but I believe uh, a lot of people are doing themselves a disservice uh, by not eating enough carbohydrates. And that is a major I source agree of, a thousand uh, percent. I agree with that a thousand. Are yeah. you a carb guy? I am, I, my, my wife is a huge carb guy, but I, I'm going to tell you right, you probably know this already. When the, the low-carb diet started in the States, and I was in middle school or high school when that uh, the the big thing came out and yeah. i'm gonna let you finish your point but i think it needs to be said yeah, yeah. um i immediately called it kind of the um i i think i may have said like the the easy diet or the um something i called it because it was evident to me that carbs were needed i mean they're an energy source they're one of the most efficient energy sources yeah. But it was, it, you know, when you talk to a group of people, sometimes the wrong group kind of latches on to it. So you have a group of people who are not active that said, oh, let me try cutting out carbs. And they dropped 10 pounds in a month. And they're like, oh, see, this thing does work. But we don't like we're starting to learn what that actually means. But go on, because I agree with you a thousand percent with the carbohydrates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How many grams of carbs roughly do you eat in a oh, day? Oh, um, do I eat in a day? Not, I, I'll be honest with you, not that many. Uh, maybe uh, what's what's a what's a what's a bowl like? Just a regular bowl of pasta. How many? How many is that? White pasta? Probably a. I guess so. If, that, if that's a hundred, average fifty <laughs> to seventy-five, maybe. Maybe that's still. I understand. Low no, carbs, I understand though. it's low. I understand it's low, and I, I, and just so you know a little bit about me, I really don't eat that much to begin with. I don't always have an appetite, but and I need to force myself to eat more. But I can tell okay. you right now, the moment I have a good bowl of pasta for dinner, the next day my workouts are unbelievable, and I feel more focused. Mm-hmm. So it it. It, it, it happens like it, it does happen I, and I don't get yeah. enough protein either I try to make sure I eat enough protein too but I but go on with the carbs because people need to hear this yeah I'm actually uh, here I have an organic orange juice that I picked up we were in Spain last week um, so I, I found some cheap deal I'm doing an experiment right now I'm doing a lot of carbs um, something like 
close to 300 grams of carbs a day. So I start the morning. And the reason I'm doing this experiment is I want, I want to see how far I can take it. I noticed, so I, I get this really nice organic goat milk, which is very high in fat. It's like 5% fat. And I noticed if I drink two liters or a quart or sorry, half a gallon of that in a day, I noticed very quickly I'm starting to get, you know, to, to gain fat. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm doing lower fat now and much higher carb. And I want to see how I feel. And I'll tell you already some findings. My my pretty damn sharp is my, my, my brain. Some, some days I'm up at 4 or 5 a.m. Um, I'm writing a book. I'm taking care of a two-year-old. And I feel, you know, my libido is good. I go for an hour walk in the morning with my dog. Sometimes I'll sprint up a hill. Sometimes I'll just walk. But I don't really like to push my, my body too hard because I understand it's a stressor. And the more of these stressors you have in your bucket, the more likely that bucket will overflow. And that's not going to be a good thing. But um, I just want to look at it from a different perspective for a second. So carbs is working out for me. But people... People start to, like, for example, I was, I was talking to one friend of mine. And he's like, I, I, I have a lot of brain fog. I feel like I'm getting dementia. So he was interviewing me on his podcast. And then later he told me, I'm trying to get into ketosis. I'm doing low carb. I'm like, Jesus, dude, that's why you have brain fog. Because you're not in complete ketosis. So you're not making ketones, right? But your brain, a normal average size human, I think it's something like, uh, the brain is 2% of the total body weight, but it accounts for 20% of the energy expenditure at rest. So if you're on the couch vegging out um, and you're, you're on a 2000 calorie diet, just vegging out on the couch costs you about maybe 100, um, what is it, 400, 400 calories or 100 grams of glucose per day. That's just chilling on the couch. Now, if you're working at the computer or as a professional programmer, whatever else, or are very act, uh, you know, active, that still your brain will, will need more fuel then. So let's. There's another calculation that, that the scientists often come come with, is um, you need about five to five point six to six grams of glucose per hour to feed the brain. That's 135 to 145 grams of carbs a day. So just for your brain. So you also the red blood cells need maybe about 30 grams of glucose per per day. So just to feed your brain, chilling on the couch or sleeping, you need maybe 130, 140 gram, grams of glucose per day. Now, if you're not in ketosis, it means that, and let's say you're eating 50 grams of carbs or 100 grams of carbs, it means that the deficit will be created in the body, no matter what. And that no matter what means you will, your body will gladly raise cortisol and stress hormones in general. It will gladly break down your precious lean muscle. Other lean tissue like your bone will get sh shredded. Um, your joints, your cartilage in your joints, your skin, your collagen, all of these things even your organs, right? Even your organs will get shredded. That's how important your blood glucose level is. So the, the fact is that it's, uh, glucose is so important. Otherwise, you, you know, collapse in a coma very quickly. It's so important that your body will literally atrophy your muscles, your brain, uh, your uh, parts of the brain as well in a very end stage uh, progression of this. Uh, but it will literally shred your organs to make glucose with the substrates from them, I mean, amino acids and other things. So I believe it's pretty damn important to get enough glucose uh, during the day. And it's a little bit crazy that we are restricting this uh, this nutrient, right? When you go into the hospital with a serious injury or something like that, they will put you on a glucose drip the first thing, right? And furthermore... And by the way, I've done keto and low carb, so I'm, I'm not here like coming coming in from my ivory tower saying, uh, you know, you you guys are, you know, silly for doing low carb. I also drank the Kool-Aid and I lost weight initially and I was doing fine for a while. But it's like any other thing. You're OK for a while, especially when you're young. It, 
you can run on stress hormones and reserves for a few months, sometimes a couple of years, and then the, horm uh, the, the hormonal issues start coming about. Um, I looked at my blood work from back when I was doing that diet, low carbon keto, my thyroid was starting to creep up, my TSH, which means dim diminished thyroid function, my cholesterol was steadily rising, which is another indicator of a poor thyroid or reduced thyroid function. So the, the signs were there, just at the time I didn't really have the, uh, the nuanced understanding to see them. And Something else, Mark, I saw last week or a week, the week before. It's going to be in my, in my book. Um, if I uh, And I asked my wife this, right? Uh, because she was doing the low-carb thing with me. Uh, not through her own choice. Just, you know, you know how it is. <laughs> but um, so it, it turns out in research circles. Let, let me ask you. How do you think they give a rat they want to study diabetes on? How do they how do they give the rat diabetes? Do they put the rat on a high fat diet or on a high carb diet? How they give a rat? I would I would say the high carb diet. I would think right. That's what everybody says. In fact, to reliably induce diabetes in a lab animal like a rat, they put them on a uh, high fat diet. So if carbs are the devil or, or if sugar is the devil and carbs are so bad and they'll give us all diabetes, why are the researchers using high-fat diets to, to create a model of diabetes in rats? I, you know what? Thinking about it from a totally scientific way is that you know how the body stores excess carbohydrates is, is fat. And, you know, we all think, you know, diabetes is, is because of, you know, sugar consumption and how that, but sugar is a carbohydrate and, um, and it's stored as fat. And so I would think scientifically, but, but maybe that's the reason. Apparently you have to eat something like 500 grams, more than a pound of sugar or, mm -hmm. or carbs in a day to initiate de novo lipogenesis okay, okay. to create fats so what, what it, as it turns out when you wake up in the morning this is why i wake up with two tablespoons of sugar usually uh, sorry sugar no i'm not advocating <laughs> just to eat regular sugar here <coughs> sorry i got confused it's it's been a long day um i wake up and i'll have one to two tablespoons of honey and then like an hour later after i've had my coffee i'm gonna go out with the dog I'll have another tablespoon or two uh, of honey, maybe some milk along the way, because I don't want to eat a whole meal in the morning, but I want to get energy or rather fuel that I can create energy with rather than run on cortisol and, you know, be on in stress hormone mode, shred, um, <coughs> excuse me, valuable lean muscle tissue and whatever else. <clears throat> so two tablespoons, what that, do, what that does, and see here, this is where we're getting... We've been conditioned into having this simplistic model. You eat carbs, they get stored as uh, fat. Or maybe a slightly more nuanced version is you eat carbs, it's okay. If you eat even 10 calories over your ca caloric intake required for the day, all of that extra uh, intake... Of, of carb calories will get converted into fat and it doesn't seem like that's the case so when you first of all in the morning when you have a couple of tablespoons of honey the first thing the body does is top up the liver glycogen stores because <clears throat> for the last maybe eight hours or sometimes more depending on how much carbs you ate with dinner how when your last meal was but for the for the last plenty of hours you've been running kind of on gluconeogenesis cortisol breaking down muscle tissue to or another tissue to create glucose and some some fat burning right some fat burning as well um so when you wake up in the morning if you go for a run or if you start doing things go work use your brain you're continuing that stress mode right so taking two tablespoons of honey or a glass of oj or whatever tickles your fancy uh, bowl of cornflakes, frosted flakes, just kidding. <laughs> um, 
any anything you do to top up your liver glycogen now you can actually be your liver can use that store of glucose or glycogen to keep your brain functioning to you know send keep your blood sugar stable so it's not like uh taking in carbohydrates it means immediate fat loss i think that's an area where we have to educate people a little bit more and the, the same goes throughout the day right if you let's say you eat all the calories you need by six o'clock in the evening let's say 2000 calories is what you need and you eat those by six o'clock and then at 10 in the evening you eat another let's say 100 grams of carbs that doesn't mean that th those carbs will all be stored as fat yes maybe some will be stored as fat but when the cells get more glucose that means they can burn that glucose create more energy and with that energy, they can regenerate parts. They can repair things. So that's where actually healing and growth can happen. Your metabolic rate can go up. It can increase. So you can be burning more uh, calories because your thyroid function, it's like the gas pedal. Your thyroid is increasing the metabolic rate. So you can actually start giving off more heat. You can... That uh, extra energy that you, you're taking in, it can just come off of you as heat. And there's things like uh, uncoupling where the mitochondria can just give off heat rather than uh, create energy through the you know electron transport chain or store things as fat. So there's a lot of things in between ingesting carbohydrates and storing carbohydrates as fat. There's a lot of steps along the way and many of those are actually regenerative for the body. So I think that's probably what I'd, I'd love to uh, leave your listeners with. Well, Christian, that this has been a very dense discussion. I think there's a lot of a lot of <laughs> stuff that people need to go back and just re-listen to. There's a lot of good stuff here. But how can people get in contact with you online? How can they find out more about what you're doing? I uh, my website is christianjordanov.com. If you just put my name in, it will come up. And I offer free initial introductory consultations with people to get so they can get to know me i can get to know them see how i can help them my all my other links are on there my podcasts book um and a couple of other video courses and uh yeah mark thank you so much bro this was a pleasure i love talking about things no like this. problem we appreciate it as always you can stop the show now if you want to and go to the links in the show page other than that christian thank you so much you have a great rest of your day okay thank you mark Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AM Run to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.